Good morning. Glad you're all here. Uh, no, uh, I th- thanks for being here. And uh, I want to uh, tell you that for the last two weeks, uh, I want to tell you a little story. For the last two weeks, I have been uh, searching for a used car. And so I have been going to used car lots. And I'm going to preface this with, if you have a friend or a relative who is a car salesman, I am sure they're a wonderful person. And I'm sure that I would have had a wonderful experience with them. And so I would like to meet you afterwards so that I could get to know them because I'm sure it'll happen again. But my experience of the last two weeks has probably not been what your friend or relative is like. Um, It's almost cliche as I tell you the things that I experienced over these last two weeks. I took my youngest daughter, Jordan, with me on one visit, and I tried to prepare her for this is what's going to happen, and everything that I said was going to happen, happened. Uh, It always begins with a handshake. Then it moves from a handshake to small talk and the offer of water or coffee, right? Been there, right? And a quick budding friendship. As we move from the cubicle in the dealership to the lot to hear about the kind of car that I'm looking for. Now, I was going with one particular car. I only wanted that car, and if I didn't like that car, I was leaving. But their goal, and at least this gentleman's goal, was to keep me in his presence to interest me in as many cars as possible. During the test drive, this happened every time. There was a lot of small talk, more small talk, and an attempt an attempt to establish some trust with this new friend that I've just made uh, just 15 minutes earlier. And then after the test drive, invited to sit at a table with more water and more coffee. And the salesperson is always on your side. But there's always some mysterious other person who is making all the real decisions, and that person is never on your side. And the salesperson is going to be your advocate to get you the best deal possible. Am I right? Been there? Experienced that? You know what I'm talking about? Here is my issue with that, is there's this, it's this facade or a charade of what could be or what should be in a real, authentic relationship between people. And so while I was smiling and I was playing along with a lot of these things, because you have to go through this process, I was always on my guard. And I even with Jordan as we were driving was pep talking and telling her, this is what he's going to say, and here's what I'm going to say back. I'm going to get what's fair. I'm going to get the best deal possible. He's out to get me, and I'm not going to trust him no matter what he may say. And if I don't get what I want... I'm walking away. 
Right? So I pep talk myself. I was all prepared for this because really I hate car shopping because it's the opposite of what we want real relationships to be about. So we're in this series that we started last week about conflict, and we're calling it Conflict Revolution. The reality is, is that conflict is all around us. No one is immune to it. Having conflict doesn't mean that we are going to end uh, broken relationships, but it means that we're going to be involved in relationships that sometimes can be broken. And as hard as it might be, even in the worst situations, we believe that conflict can lead to ultimate good. And God doesn't shelter us from the messiness of life and how we handle and how we choose to address conflict is a testimony to our faith. And so when conflict is handled well, we get to shine the light of Jesus into the world. When it's not handled well, uh, I guess the, the opposite is true. So today we're going to look at a formula. I think it's a, a very good formula for how we can address conflict in a healthy way. And so like I said, all of us experience it. All of us have conflict. There's plenty of reasons for conflict. Last week, uh, uh, Heather shared a lot of those. If you're married, if you have kids, if you have friendships, if you have work, you will experience forms of conflict because we're social people with many relationships. And so conflict or the potential for conflict is always around us. Sometimes it's because of misunderstandings, right? I think one thing and you're thinking another. Often it's because of poor communication, either no communication at all or communication that wasn't done well. And so that's another reason for conflict. Sometimes it's a lack of planning. Sometimes conflict is because of stress. Sometimes that stress is because of the conflict is about money. Sometimes the conflict is about work or the lack of money because of work. Sometimes conflict is about sibling rivalries. Sometimes it's about extended families or it's involving in-laws. Sometimes it's as simple as getting out the door on time and it leads to conflict. Sometimes it's even as simple as technology. Put your phone down can lead to conflict. And so why we have to face possible conflict through life, and we will experience conflict, we do have a choice in how we're going to address it and how we're going to handle it and how we're going to deal with it. For many people, the attitude toward conflict is like buying a car. We're defensive. We're prepared to negotiate. We're going to bargain and we see it as a contest. I'm going to get something out of this. Because someone else is out to get me, and before they do, I'm going to get mine. And I'm going to win. And so for some people, that's how we see conflict, right? And, and all of us, at times, will see it that way, that I'm going to get what belongs to me. But there's another way to face conflict. It can be honest and authentic, Christ-centered. That we don't see conflict as a contest or a competition. That we don't see it as scorekeeping. That it's not about winning or losing. 
Because really, when we see conflict that way, everybody loses when someone else is trying to win. So the other way is to see conflict as something that can lead to ultimate good. Something that can lead to ultimate good. Pastor Jeff is famous for saying this, and I'm uh, quoting him. It's up on the screen. Don't tell him I didn't put Jeff Bills. (laughs) But I didn't. But conflict is the opportunity to make it better. Conflict is the opportunity to make it better. And the question I want to talk about just for a few minutes here is, what is it? It's the opportunity to make it better. So what is the it? I would suggest that it is not, it is not the present issue. That may get better, but that's not the it. Conflict is the opportunity to make it better. So if you and your spouse are in a conflict about money or work or kids or family, the it is not the conflict. I would argue that the it is the relationship. That conflict is the opportunity to make your relationship better. Put your technology down. (laughs) Sorry, Steph. So let me give you this hypothetical situation, okay? It's hypothetical, all right? But imagine that I have a daughter who is going to turn 17 this week, and she sings up on the platform just a few minutes ago. (laughs) And hypothetically, imagine that she keeps her room in a way that her mom and dad don't agree with. (laughs) That we see the goal of the room to be a place of comfort, where you can walk in and not trip. And that where there's safety for everyone involved. (laughs) She, hypothetically, sees the room as a giant hamper, let's just say. Hypothetically, conflict can arise because of that. But conflict is the opportunity to make it better. Now, there are times where, hypothetically, the father in this situation thinks that the conflict, what's getting better, it is the room. And hypothetically, the daughter thinks that conflict is the opportunity to make it better by having dad not talk about the room. But really, conflict in this situation, I would suggest maybe in every situation, is that it's the opportunity to make the relationship better. So the it, then, is a friendship, a work relationship, a marriage, the it could be a church, a community, a family, or a workplace. No matter what the it is, conflict is the opportunity to make it better. 
But how we choose to approach conflict determines if we make the it better. If we approach it as a contest, that's going to determine whether or not the it is made better. If we approach it differently than a contest, if we approach it in another way, we can make it better. So how do we make it better? I'm going to give you three things, and you can write these down if you want. I think they're easy enough to remember. But uh, the three things are this. Your always has to do with start. Start here. Start here with this idea that this is not a contest, that our attitude about conflict determines the outcome. So if we believe it's a contest, we may gain something, but it's not going to get better. It is not a contest. It's an opportunity that leads to good. So what good comes from conflict? We better understand the other person involved. We ultimately build the relationship. It teaches us to become better listeners and better communicators. It helps us to grow outside of our comfort zone. All those things happen if we start with it is not a contest. We have to start determining what is our attitude going to be going into the conflict. Now, here's the challenge. I didn't warn my family about this, and this is going to lunch together, and we're going to talk about all my illustrations. And so I want you to know that I'm making a personal sacrifice. by sharing these things with you people, okay? So that you'll leave here with memorable experience and you'll be able to think of these things and when it comes to conflict, I'm going to have conflict at lunch today, all right? When my wife and I were first married, we ended up in some conflict. And at one point, I asked her, now this is where I've gotten older and wiser, In the midst of our arguing, I said to her one time, how come whenever we argue, I always apologize? And I probably stood like this when I said it. Don't ever ask that question in the midst of your argument. And she said, it must be because you're always wrong. Now, she doesn't like when I share that story, but here's the reality of that circumstance, is that I didn't grow up understanding healthy relationships and healthy conflict. And so I would go into it as if I were going to buy a used car, and I'm going to get what's mine, and I'm going to get before she tries to get. And I treated it like a contest. And so why was I always apologizing? I was always wrong. Because it was where I started. How do you start? Start understanding that it is not a contest, but an opportunity to make this relationship better. To start with our attitude towards conflict. So we have to ask ourselves this, am I buying a car or am I building a relationship? Start there. Am I buying a car 
or am I building a relationship? So the first is where we start. The second is our focus. We need to focus on giving and not on getting. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In Paul's letter to the church, he challenges the followers to submit to one another. There's this mutual submission that needs to take place. Submitting is about giving to another person, not about getting. It's about giving to someone else. When I choose to focus on giving rather than on getting, more often than not, I end up getting what I wanted all along. It's about submission. Our submission to each other is a sign of the presence of God working in our lives when we're ready to submit to another person in a relationship. James chapter 2, verse 8 says, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law. Let me pause there just for a second. James says the royal law. Some people think he's talking about the Old Testament. Some people think that he's talking about Jesus here. And I kind of like that one best, that there's this royal law. James, the brother of Jesus, says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Echoing the words of Jesus, who was echoing the words of the Old Testament. So how do I love someone as I love myself? That's our focus. How can I love someone as I love myself? It's about giving, not about getting. It's treating their concerns as if not as if. It's treating their concerns as important as my own. It's having a greater interest in a common good than in a personal goal. It's about having a desire to protect the other person's interests. It's asking the question in the focus. When we get the so start is, am I buying a car or am I building a relationship, focus is, can I live in their shoes? Can I see their view? Imagine one person presents an idea of what should be done about a particular issue, and the second person disagrees. But the first person, because they are a Christ follower and they're following the royal law, of loving my neighbor as I love myself, responds not by arguing their own idea, but instead saying, let me help. How can I understand where you're coming from? Focus on giving and not on getting. So we start here. Am I buying a car or am I building a relationship? And then we focus on giving, not getting. Can I live in their shoes? Can I see what they see? And then third, practice love. Romans 12 says this, don't just pretend to love each other. I think Paul is so practical there. He says, don't pretend to love others. Really love them. You know, there's so many things in the Bible that you could left for interpretation, right? You can go, I'm not sure what it means here. What does this mean? What does this mean? Uh, this one's pretty clear, right? Don't just pretend to love others. 
really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Really love. It's supposed to be real. See, conflict is about people bumping into each other. It's about people bumping into each other. But when we hate wrong and hold tightly to good, we can look for the good in someone else and hold on to that. When we're bumping into each other, we can care for the other person and we can delight in honoring them. And so how do you practice love? Last week, Heather mentioned in James chapter 1 that James says that we can be quick to listen. We can be slow to speak. And we can be slow to get angry. I think maybe that's what practicing love looks like. Seeking to listen for understanding, speaking for clarification so that we can understand the other person's position, opinion, or circumstance. Practice love. I think that practicing love probably requires these two ideas. The first one is, I talked about this a few months ago, uh, something called gracious assumptions. When we go into a circumstance with someone else in conflict, or even when we're not in conflict, having gracious assumptions about them. What do I mean by that? What if every time we heard about someone else, we assumed the best? What about, what if every time I was in disagreement with someone, I assumed the best? See, I always said it this way in the past. I would say that I, I want to err on the side of grace. If I'm going to make a mistake, I want to be known as being that Rick Court. He was too gracious. What if we were to have that kind of assumption about people. To assume grace. I think the second way to practice love is about honest confession. So 20-something Kelly said to me, because you're always wrong. Twenty-something Rick went, no way. It's got to be 50-50. There's two of us here. Honest confession. Yeah, I mess up. Yeah, I make mistakes. Yeah, it's on me. Gracious assumptions and honest confession is practicing love and conflict. So start here. Focus on giving and practice love. So simple to say. A lifetime to master. And I believe this formula can work in every circumstance of conflict.
conflict in your marriage? Start here. This is not a contest. It's an opportunity to make my relationship better. Am I buying a car or am I building a relationship? Start there. Then focus on giving. Can I understand? Can I see? Can I live in my spouse's shoes? Can I see what they see in this circumstance? Practice love. Listen quickly. Speak slowly. And don't allow anger to take hold of the situation. Offer gracious assumptions and honest confession. That one might be easiest. How about conflict at work? Does this work in work? Does this work with your neighbor who took your hedge trimmer? Does this work with your kid? Or your parents? I think it could work in every situation. I think it could work in every circumstance. You might say, but I'll get walked all over. I can't go into this not buying a car. I've got to get what's mine before someone else gets it. But are you buying a car or building a relationship? Can you see what they're seeing? Can you listen and speak without anger? It works, but it's not easy. It requires effort and focus because our tendency is to do the opposite. We naturally want to move toward a default mode of dealing with conflict. Uh, last night, I was, uh, I was at a, a wedding and uh, wedding reception afterward and uh, sat with a couple who I hadn't seen in 14 years. Uh, they are in their late 80s and have been married for six decades and more. And I said to uh, uh, the, the um, wife, I said, How, how's your husband doing? Because he looked a little frail. And she said, he's doing okay. He's doing okay. And then she said, he's forgetting things, and it's really frustrating him. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And so we were getting our food, and, and he had ordered the prime rib, and salad came. And he looked at her, and he goes, I don't even remember ordering salad. And she went, see what I mean? <laughs> she started giggling and laughing. And she said, it's really hard. But you know what I know after six decades of marriage for them? She's figured this out. They like think for each other. It takes a lifetime to master this. But our world and the way that our, we're wired, our default is to buy a car. To go into it I'm going to get what belongs to me. We start with, it's a competition. And I'm going to focus on getting what's for me. And I'm not going to build a relationship here. I'm just going to get what I can get. 
And oftentimes the reasons that our conflicts go unresolved or evolve into something worse is we go into the conflict with the wrong start. Over the last two weeks, I walked out of a half a dozen car lots. Because I had one car in mind, one type of car, and I would look on websites and i find that car. And if the car wasn't for me, I would walk away. And I walked on to half a dozen car lots and walked out saying, no, thank you, I'm not interested. You know what I lost in that? Nothing. But I probably could list a half a dozen conflicts that I walked away from in my lifetime. You know what I lost in that? Some measure of friendship. Some measure of relationship. See, we can have that mode when buying a car. That's not a good way for us to live our lives in relationship. What works at a used car lot does not work with people in our relationships. Start here. Focus on giving. Practice love. And it can lead to a conflict revolution. So uh, we have these cards that we pass out at our events. They say we should meet, and it's uh, on all of our uh, different, different signage and things like that. And so uh, at the, other, the other day, uh, the other day, it's been a month now, uh, I was at Chick-fil-A event, and we were passing out these cards, and uh, Mason was with me, and we were standing there, and, and there was a gentleman, I saw him, and he was staring intently at the card, not the written side, he was staring at the photo, and he's just looking at it, he's looking at it, and, and he's like, just... And so I walked from around the table. We were doing craft with the kids. And so I walked around the table, and I kind of worked up to, to, you know, having a conversation with him. I said, I said, uh, have you ever been to our church? No, I haven't. I kind of knew he hadn't been. And I, I said, uh, I said uh, do you like our material? And he said, I got a question for you. I'm like, yeah. He goes, is this my neighborhood? And I'm like, you know what? I don't know. And so then I grabbed a card and I started looking at it. I go, why do you think so? And he said, ah, it looks like my neighbor's house and I'm not sure. I'm trying to figure it out. And, and, and I said, well, to be honest, it's a stock photo. We bought it and it's, 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 it could be your neighborhood, but I don't know. And then I said this, it just came out. I said, it could be. It could be. Nothing exciting or dramatic about that until I was preparing this message. And then I started thinking about this. Uh, so uh, I, was, I was listening to someone uh, share about churches, and he talked about that churches, the size of your church determines the, the orbit that your church has and the gravitational pull that your church has. So he said, kind of like planets. So the bigger the planet, the bigger orbit the planet has, and the bigger uh, a gravitational pull. And he said churches work the same way. So he was saying, he was describing uh, our two campuses. And he said, you know, the Voorhees campus is bigger, so it's a bigger planet. And so it's going to have a bigger gravitational pull. As, or it's a bigger planet, so it has a bigger orbit and it has a bigger gravitational pull. He says, and so you need to uh, work on increasing the number of people who are part of your community so that you have a bigger planet and that way you'll have a bigger orbit and a bigger gravitational pull. And so your orbit, his orbit, he was, or the orbit he was explaining, is that when your folks leave the building, that's when your orbit takes place, okay? You're out there in the, in, and you're all in your workplaces and your homes and your neighborhoods and all those kinds of things, and there's this orbit that we have as a campus. And then our gravitational pull is, as we are in conversation with people, we... Uh, invite them to be a part of our community or they, they uh, hear about an event or those kinds of things. But really, our pull is about 
you guys in your orbits becomes part of our orbit, and we have this gravitational pull. So I was reminded as, we were prepping, as I was prepping this message and about this conversation with this guy, because I had this thought. I said, right now we have this smaller orbit, and when we leave and go to our places, our home world, our work world, our family world, that's what our orbit is, and our gravity is how we increase and draw people into us. And then I thought, here's this guy who was wondering if this was his neighborhood. And I said, yeah, it could be. So in Acts chapter 2, it says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need, and they worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And so I thought, how we choose to live in relationship and community with each other, how we choose to live in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and all those things, if we choose to live differently, not as starting with used car salesmen, but in, or buying a car, but instead of building a relationship. If we choose to focus on giving and looking at the other person's needs and submitting to them, if we choose to practice love, this could become his neighborhood. Because people will see the way we're living. And just like in Acts chapter 2, they'll be drawn to be part of a community. I don't think anyone, forgive me if you have used car salesman friends, I don't think anybody enjoys being part of that kind of experience. But something like this, I think people could be drawn to. that would create a conflict revolution. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? And so God, I thank you for this time we've had together. I thank you, God, for the men and women in this room. And I thank you, God, for the lives that are represented here, the families, the workplaces. And God, as we uh, leave from this space and as we uh, go into the orbits that are part uh, part of our hope community and our orbits. That, God, we would choose to live life differently than the world around us. That, God, our, that we would think about our focus. Going into conflict, we think about our focus. We think about, uh, um, excuse me, we think about where we're going to start. We think about our focus, and, God, we practice love. Not just so that we can make it better, 
make the relationships better, make the conflict go away. But God, it would be a testimony to your work in our lives. So God, I thank you for loving us this much, that you would send your son to die on planet earth and rise again so that he could reign in our hearts and lives forever. And I pray, God, that we would live our lives in such a way that the world would notice something different about us. And they would be drawn into this place to discover that same kind of love. And so we thank you for all these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great day.